So here we go, round two. He's so mad, but he won't give up that easy, no. He won't have it. He knows his whole back's to these ropes. It don't matter, he's dope, he knows that. But he's broke. He's so stagnant, he knows. When he goes back to this mobile home, that's when it's back to the lab again. Yo, this whole rhapsody. Better go capture this moment and hope it don't pass him. You better lose yourself in the music, the moment. You own it. You better never let it go. You only get one shot. Do not miss your chance to blow. Yes, another dramatic reading for Eminem's Lose Yourself as we walk in. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, I will not wrap that, no matter how desperately you guys want that viral moment to be, to be uh, broadcasted online right now. Um, we are in week two of our new series called Lose Yourself, and uh, like I said last week as I was looking to title what we're talking about, I just after the Super Bowl, the song was in my head, and it just matches. We, we really long for uh, meaning. I think it's what we, we resonate with this song and the lyrics and how Eminem himself just displays the emotion of what we feel. Uh, we, we want that moment, that time where that excellence, that thing inside of us comes out where we're known and, and, and we're happy and, and we're all those things. And so we're looking, is this a core desire in us? That's why it resonates so well. And so, and so that's what we're looking at in this series. I believe God's made you for that. God wants you to be happy. He, he's put this in you. Jesus talked about it. He talked about happy are those who, and then he begins to talk about what that means. And it doesn't always look like we think that it would. And so we're looking at that, and, and, and really in the natural desire for us and what culture around us pushes us to do is say, you know, let's look for these answers within ourselves, and how can we do that? And so I want to I begin to help us define what it really means to be happy and what that looks like. And as Christ followers, as Christians, uh, for us, we look to Jesus. And so in this series, I want to show you who we believe in. I want to show you Christ. And so whether you're someone who's been, been a Christ follower for a while or you are on this journey, you're pursuing him or you're new to this journey, this is so key and important because we say and we believe that he is the only way to God. And so we're going to look at his life, especially his words about himself and to us. And as Christ followers, everything for us starts with Jesus. And so we believe that he has the words of eternal life. And that he is the best source for how we live out our lives today. But it doesn't stop there. More significantly, he is who we live our lives for. That he is the best thing we could pursue and we live our lives for him. And that last part is different. That's different. And so why is that? What does that look like? And so you, we just want you to embrace the moment and lose yourself. Last week we started with this statement from John. And we looked at John's opening of his gospel. And we have this gospel of John. It's incredible. It's, it's something you should read because he, he is showing us um, who Jesus is. And that he is wanting us to know that Jesus is the Son of God. That he, that he is God. And he reveals God. And so he says this in John 1.18. He says, No one has ever seen God but the one and only Son. And he's speaking about Jesus, the one and only Son is Jesus, who is himself God and is in closest relationship with the Father. So he says, the one and only Son has made 
him known. He has made God known to us. John is saying, Jesus shows us God. So you say, I want to know, I want to know that God exists, that he's real. I wish he would show himself to us. What he did, he came and he showed us to himself as Jesus. He came and helped us to know who the Father was. John is saying in his gospel that Jesus was with God in the beginning, that he was part of creation, that he is the light and the life of the world, that he has made God known to us. And so that's significant. And if you want those, if you have that desire in our heart, you, this should grip you and you should want to pursue and see that if this is true. So each week we're going to look at Jesus' words to us and about himself. So how do you, you say, we want us to see God? Well, look at Christ. What is Jesus doing? He is showing us God and helping us see him. And so we began our journey last week looking at this incredible story that Jesus told of two sons. And Jesus was an amazing storyteller. He understands our hearts, that we, we, we connect through story. I think if he lived now, if he was here with us in the flesh now, he would be in, he'd be in Hollywood making movies. I don't know, like I think he would fire every like Christian movie uh, director and writer like right now because they're putting out all this awful cheesy stuff. He's like, we got to make we gotta up the game here. He was an incredible storyteller. That's just my own little soapbox. You can just take that and leave it. But anyway... He, and so it's, it's amazing to look at, and we've been looking at the story of two sons. It's one of the longer ones and more detailed ones that we have. And so we looked at the younger son. We have a younger son and an older son being two. And in the middle of the story is a father who represents God. So what is God like? What is his heart for us? Well, Jesus, look at the father in the story. Jesus is showing us God. But the younger son, the story essentially said to the father, you're dead to me. I want my inheritance. He said, F you to the father, had fingers up, blazing out, like just a disgrace to the family, demanded his inheritance early. And the father graciously gave it to him, is essentially saying, you're dead to me. I don't care about you anymore. And they had to liquidate all their stuff. He takes the money. It's one third of his father's estate. And he goes, he goes to a different country and he blows it. He just wastes it and he loses it all and gets to a place of incredible desperation where he can't even beg for food. He's so desperate. And he comes back to the father repenting. After all of that, what was the father's response? He finally gets to lash out his anger and his son and make him pay and whatever else. What is his response? It was lavish, loving. He runs to the sun. He calls for four things to happen. He says he put a robe on him. The robe is for the guest of honor, the highest honor. He says put the best robe on him. He says put a ring on his finger. That was a symbol of authority. It was a symbol of belonging. He says put sandals on his feet. The shoes meant full restoration. It was only reserved for those that were family. The servants didn't get shoes. And he says, kill the fattened calf. Let's throw a massive party and celebration. That was reserved. The, the fattened calf was reserved for only the most special occasions. It was lavish. It was a full outpouring. And the moment that he should have been shamed, and it was his moment to like, let him have it. It's incredible. And so that's where we ended with this question of what kind of father Reward someone like this. What kind of God does that? Do you have room in your heart for a God like that? That's who Jesus was showing us. So that was part one. 
If you listen to the whole thing, you can go back and we'll have that posted for you. But today's part two, we're going to begin to look at the elder son. So let's jump back in. We'll back up just a little bit to where the son came back. And it says here, Luke 15, 21, the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. And so the father says, but the father said to the servants, Quick, bring the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Bring the fat and calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate. For this son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. So they began to celebrate. So we left this whole thing off with this massive party going on. All right. So everybody's excited. The work day just suddenly stopped. All right. So this is a story about two sons. Okay. Remember? All right, so what's the older brother think about this? What's going on with him? Well, we get to know now. Uh, and there's something, before I jump all in, there's something that I didn't reveal last week. If this, and if you've read, this is a famous story of Christ, so I just encourage you to, to engage the story anew if you've heard it before. But, but um, there, was a, there was an audience to the story. Jesus is telling it to a group of people. And so... Um, and so, you know, who were these? Well, this is the event that sparked Jesus telling stories. In fact, he told three what we call parables in a row, or stories to illustrate a deeper point. And this, this parable of the two sons was the third story. But here's what sparked all this. This is the beginning of Luke 15. It says, Now the tax collectors and sinners were all gathering around to hear Jesus. And so these were essentially the two worst groups, according to those who were religious, who were great God followers, who were keeping all the rules and, and supposed to love the, for the Father. These were like the two worst. They were hanging around to hear Jesus. Says, but the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, the very religious people, muttered, this man welcomes sinners and how dare he, he eats with them. And so Jesus hears this and he begins to tell this story. So he's got this group where he's like the people that are far from God, so to speak, outcast, and then they're very, very religious. And he tells this story of the two sons. And, and in this story, the father, it represents God. Jesus is showing us our, our heavenly father. The younger brother represents those sinners, those outcasts, the others outside of the religious system, the rebels or those who just walked away from God. The older brother, who's that? Well, it's these Pharisees and these teachers of the religious law. And he's illustrating this point. It's very interesting. And they were ones that especially whose jaw would have dropped at hearing this story where the inheritance request from the younger son before his father would die, that never happened. That would have been like, what? And then, and then the father granting it would have been another moment. But then even bigger than that, the father welcoming the son back fully and lavishly. They would have been gripped by this story. So what would this have looked like from the, the older son's perspective? His younger son was not entitled to this property. It would have been one-third. The, older, the, the, older, the younger son was not entitled to the property yet, and the older son would have been entitled to more. He got a double portion being the firstborn. Good for him. Lucky him, right? And so, but he would have watched his, his younger brother make this demand bringing shame on him and his entire family. They would have had to sell and liquidate his part of the property with a massive liquidation of assets. They would have had new neighbors bordering them and this is closer. 
He would have had less help, but there would have been less property. I guess that goes, but you know, but he would have, he, he would have been known more about this event. Like he had to go sell in the town and, and buy things. People probably would have talked to him about it, asked him about it. Oh, you're that guy, you're that family. We know about that. You know, the whole thing, it would have been a big disruption in his life. So how does he respond to the brother coming back? Well, let's dive back in and see. So it says in Luke 15, 25, it says, Meanwhile, dun, 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 the older son was in the field. So he's out working, being a good boy. And when he came near the house, he heard music and dancing, which I love. This is the father of God, right? He loves to throw parties. I just want you guys to know that. He loves to celebrate they're having a blast. So he calls one of his servants. And he's like, what's going on? Like he goes out to work for them. He comes back and there's a huge party. And so the servant, this poor guy, gets to be chosen to bear the news. He says, your brother has come. And he's killed the fat. Your father has killed the fat calf because he has him back safe and sound. All right, I'll see you later. He runs away. <laughs> the brother's like, wait a minute, wait a minute. This is not scripture. Just why? But he says, you mean that guy that caused all the drama? That guy? He's like, yeah. The guy that brought all this shame and dishonor to the family that you've been talking about? Yeah, yeah, that guy. Like when I go into town and get all the questions about this, like that, like that guy? Yeah, yeah, that guy. The same guy whose face I drew in the side of the barn for target practice looks a lot like him, like that guy? Yeah, yeah. Or the guy, the guy we make this stuffed dummy out of every year. For, we have the annual bonfire, and so we put his old clothes on him, and then we, we use him as a fire starter, like that guy? Like, yeah, yeah, that, that's it. Oh, okay. <laughs> Just making sure. Wow, he's back? Great. Great, I can't wait to see him. <laughs> How do you think he feels? Well, here's the response. It says, the older brother became angry and refused to go in. So his father went out and pleaded with him. But he answered his father, look. And you got to like pull up your inner like rebellious, angry teenager, right? Voices, look, after all these years, I've been slaving for you and never disobeyed your orders. Yet you never gave me even a young goat so I could celebrate with my friends. And he says, but for this son of yours, which I love. It's like, oh, you mean your brother? <laughs> it's like, this, isn't it? like, this reveals so much, right? This son of yours, he's the, I don't have anything to do with him. Like, you can tell how bitter he is, like how, how mad he is about this situation. He's not even his family anymore. It's your son. This son of yours, who has squandered your property with prostitutes, comes home. You kill the fattened calf for him? Wow. I mean, honestly, it sounds about right. I think finally these religious leaders that are listening to this are like, yes, yes. Like, how could the father like, welcome back? Like, that's right. Like, they're in, that's what we feel in this situation. And the fattened calf, I love that. There's just, there's just one fattened calf, the one awesome, amazing one that they are saving for the massive feast and celebration. He's like, you... We, we did that for him for this moment? I was thinking about this. It reminded me of the movie I Am Legend. I don't know if you've seen it. Uh, Will Smith is the actor in that. And it was one of the really the first of the line of zombie movies we got. It's really good. And it's like, it's almost only Will Smith the entire time. But a virus wipes out like all the planet except for a few. 
and leaves behind these zombies who can only come out at night. And so Will Smith is his doctor, and he's, he stayed behind in New York City. He's the literally only human left in New York City. It sounds like right now, right? COVID happened and wiped everybody out, like same thing, right? Anyway, he, he, and he's trying to, to find this cure, and he has saved. He's been rationing out all this food, and he's saved this one special food for some special occasion. And all of a sudden in the movie, a mom and a, and a child, I think a daughter, suddenly show up and he freaks out and they suddenly, they, this whole thing happens. They barely escape the zombies at night and they make it back to his home safe. And so he's over sleeping in the morning and she's trying to thank him for saving them and just trying to be nice in this awkward situation. And so she cooks breakfast and he walks downstairs and she's just trying to be nice and she's cooking bacon which was his thing that he had, like, you like bacon, you know what I'm talking about, like, like, he'd been saving it for years for this one special occasion in the future, and here she is cooking it, and she's trying to be nice, and he is mad, beyond mad, and freaked out, that's what it is for the son, that's my analogy. He's like, you killed the fattened calf for him. Here the father responds, is my son, the father said, you will always be with me. You are always with me, excuse me, and everything I have is yours. But we had to celebrate and be glad because this brother of yours was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. It's beautiful. Lost and then found. This is the heart of God. What about the older brother's heart? What's going on in his heart? What do you notice? What do you notice there? He's bitter, right? You can see it. You can hear. You hear the hatred, but you can see the hatred in his heart. He says, look what I've done for you. Speaking to the father, he's like, look what I've done for you. I've done all this for you. Never mind that the father was the one who got all this to him, created this for him. The father said, all I have is yours. That's what he said to his older son. That was the father's fattened calf, but in the son's eyes, he's like, that's my, like, everything that's left, it is mine. Like, they sold everything that was the younger brothers. You're killing my calf. And for the older son, his answer was himself. Himself. It wasn't really loving to the father. And so when Jesus is speaking here, he is a warning, caution sign to the religious. He's speaking to us. And if you're someone who's not a Christ follower today, this this is not necessarily for you. The older brother is talking to those who say they follow God or trying to to do good. He says, take heed. There's a warning here. He's saying, your religious goodness won't save you. There's this other interaction that Luke talks about a couple of chapters later. It's from this guy named Zacchaeus who was a tax collector and they were considered to be some of the worst people. So that's why you see like in the scriptures like there's tax collectors and sinners. Like they were like so bad they had their own category, which now we're like sounds about right. (laughs) But Zacchaeus is one of those guys and Jesus has this huge crowd around him. And he and he's and they're following him and, and, and he's walking and he stops at Zacchaeus' 
And he invites himself to his house for lunch that day. And it says here in Luke 19, it says, Zacchaeus quickly climbed down and took Jesus to his house in great excitement and joy. Listen to this. It says, but the people were displeased. He has gone to be a guest at a, at, at a notorious sinner. They grumbled. This is just this response many times that we have as followers of God. It says, Meanwhile, Zacchaeus stood before the Lord and said, I will give half my wealth to the poor, Lord, and if I have cheated people on their taxes, I will give them back four times as much. Jesus responded, Salvation has come to this home today, for this man has shown himself to be a true son of Abraham, for the, for the Son of Man came to seek and save those who are lost. People were grumbled. They were displeased. They were angry, just like the elder son who's angry at, at the younger son. It's this attitude that we typically easily get to. Jesus is like, do you understand? I've come to seek those who are, who are straight, who are far from me. And those are the people that love to be around Christ. So if you are a Christ follower, or you've been attending church a long time, or you're just simply trying to be good, we need to take heed to what Jesus is saying in this parable. Our tendency is to be like the older brother. We become prideful. We become selfish. We become inward. We take what the Father has done for us, what he has given to us, and we act like we did it. We act like we're doing all these different things. But we must be careful. That's what Jesus' warning is to us. We must be careful, especially when things in your life are going well, when everything's fine. Because then, then that makes us feel even better. Like we're not, we're not, we don't feel like we need to depend upon God. And we get more prideful. That's when it really begins to swell up. So you and I, all of us, we need to watch out. It's interesting because some of the hardest interactions, difficult interactions I, I deal with as a pastor, people who walk through the doors of our church are not with those who are, would say I'm far from God or not religious or whatever it may be. Many times it's those claiming to be Christians. It's fascinating. <laughs> this is not all of you, by the way, all right? <laughs> so, but so many times people come with demands, expectations of what they want to get out of church. Many times people will say, we're shopping. Do you have a good band? Or this doesn't look like my old church. Or it seems real basic. What else have you got? Maybe you're here today sitting thinking those things. How good of a speaker are you? How long am I going to be sitting here? Some of you are judging me based on time. How much time? I've got a timer, by the way. That, if, you, if you're worrying about time, I've got a timer. So you'll be, you're good. You'll get out of here eventually. It's amazing. But I mean, anyone else baffled at some of the churches we see in, in our country that point, love to point out the sins of others while just embracing lies themselves? It's, it's frustrating, right? It's not. But there are others that show up and they're excited to be here and that love to like, serve and give. And we're so blessed by that. What's the difference? It's our hearts. Jesus, do we love the Father or do we love ourselves? 
This is a hard parable to look at, honestly, as, as followers of God, because it points to us. That's, like we, that's why we like to call this parable the prodigal son. It's, it's ironic, because it's a, it's a story about two sons, and it's really about the older son. But this is like that. From the beginning of our, of our church family, we've, this is like, like this for many churches, but we've always been, like, we're a body of Christ. We're called to be family together. And, and, and when Jesus describes us, he, he says, you know, we're like a body. Like and if we're missing one part, the body hurts. And so we're not like one big giant eye. He's given all of us different functions. He's called all of us to a purpose. And when we don't engage in that way, we are missing part of our body. We hurt. And we feel that. We feel that so much, especially as a younger church, church plant. We've, we've been here almost seven years. We started almost seven years ago. And, and so we, like this year, I introduced a budget. And I just, I, I put a budget out of what we really need for our, And we, when I introduced it to our members last fall, I just said, this is like double what we're able to do right now. But this is a vision of what we need to have. Honestly, for us to engage in ministry that we would love to do and love well in the city, to have staff that we would need to do this properly, our budget would probably need to be two or three times as much as it is. Or those serving, we're probably like half the team on Sunday. There's just always this need and, and God is, is provided. He's been faithful in that. But we feel that we're missing the members of Christ, the body. We feel that at times. But at the same time, so many of you give and love consistently. And it's why we're able to be here and do what we do. But there's always love and ministry left on the table. So what's the, the heart of that is not what we do. It's not our penances or whatever you want to call that. It's our heart to God. It all goes back to that. When you look at scriptures, he is, he is dealing with us there. Do you really love the Father? That's what this is about. Do you love him? This is all throughout scripture. We go back to Jeremiah. There's this, this passage where God is speaking to his people and he had given this system for them to offer sacrifices to God. It was a way in which they gave to him. It's a way they acknowledged that they need him and they are sinful. And, and, but they were doing it just to do it. They didn't really love him. That's what he called them out on in Jeremiah 7. He says, this is what the Lord of heaven's armies, the God of Israel says. He says, take your burnt offerings and your other sacrifices and eat them yourselves. When I led your ancestors out of Egypt, it was not burnt offering and sacrifices I wanted from them. This is what I told them. Obey me and I will be your God and you will be my people. Do everything I, as I say and all will be well. It's like, I want you. I know that I'm the best thing you could pursue. The most satisfying thing. I am love. David, in, in, in the Psalms, he's repenting of a terrible sin, and he's writing, and he understood this. And Psalm 51, it says, he says, For you will not delight in sacrifice, or I would give it. You would not be pleased with a burnt offering. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart. Oh, God, that kind of heart you will not despise. And what's interesting in this story, who is the brother that has that humble heart? It was the younger brother. He realized 
his folly and he had a hard road that got him there. And the father came running. And the moment of our broken and contrite heart when we feel shame is right when God wants to step in and bring forgiveness and restoration and just love us lavishly, even though we didn't deserve it. We need to be careful. As Christ followers, Scriptures is constantly warning us about this. And that's what Jesus is showing us in the older brother. The triggering audience, remember who was the audience that triggered all these stories? It was, it was the religious. So the older brother, his answer for his life was himself. He didn't really love the father. He loved himself. The younger son His answer was also himself. They had the same answer. They're like, give me what I want. He was working for it. And the other other son was trying to show how good he was and doing all this work. But he just wanted the money. He didn't really love the father. The same as the younger younger son. He just blew it, went off, did it more dramatically, just way more outwardly. I'll see you later. Give me my stuff. I'm gone. And that led him to misery and despair. But the older brother is not happy either. Neither brother is happy. Do you see this? And that's what Jesus is showing us. Neither loved the father. And the father says to him, my son, you are always with me and everything I have is yours. But we had, to, we had to celebrate and be glad because this brother of yours is dead and his life he was lost and is found. And so... The question for us is, do you, do you love the Father? And we talk about giving, we talk about serving, and those are outward things that we do, but not out of penance, right? So in, when Paul talked about giving in, in, in the scriptures, he said, he said, he says, when you give, you give what you decided to give, not out of not of compulsion or reluctance, not of somebody forcing you or saying you got to do this. He says, you decide. He says, because God loves a cheerful giver. So when he talks about giving, it's, we're not trying to do it. It's just like the sacrifices that the Old Testament and the nation of Israel used to have to do to get to God. They were doing it just because they had to. You know? It was about your heart. We serve, we do things to, to love his body, to love his family. We're doing it because we love the Father. It's a natural reaction and overflow of our hearts. So I talk about those things. It's really just about what this begins to look like in our lives. So the question for you and I today is, do you love the Father? Do you love yourself? And I'm like, I like both. <laughs> it's true. When we pursue ourselves as the end, it never, it does not lead to happiness. It does for a little bit. Do you love his family? Do you love those that are his followers. Do you love his body, the body of Christ, as we call it, his family? Today we have our Belong membership class. We do it every month, and it's, we call it Belong because it's about being a family here in this city. Do you love his family? 
Do you love those that are far from God? Do you love those that don't love God? That maybe don't, that sin differently than you do, more outwardly, you just cover it up better. Do you love those that are far from God? Do you love him? Do you love his family? That's what this is about. He is the one that will satisfy you. So for the religious today, Christ has earned your salvation. There's nothing that you and I have to do. It is a gift. You're his. You belong. So how is your heart? That's the question for you. How is your heart? What do you do? You say, what do you do? Like, well, the beauty of this is the answer is so simple as you go to the Father. You go to Christ. Christ has opened that door. It's open. You just go because of Christ. So Christ followed you. Go to Christ. Is there a time where you, in, in your week, that you can rearrange, reprioritize to go to Him each day and let Him love you? Do you see this loving Father? Let him love you. Go to him. Our salvation is about being freed up to go to him. And that's the beauty of this and to love them. He is your answer. Is there room in your heart for a God that loves you lavishly like he does? And for those today say, I'm on this journey to God, or I've got questions, or I'm skeptical. I'm not sure if I believe him. Well, if your life, the end of your, the pursuit of your life is yourself, that is all that you have. I invite you to consider Jesus as the answer to true joy, happiness. Not just for life's answers, but as the ultimate thing that you worship and and you pursue for the joy of your life. We think that admitting we need help or that we've sinned brings shame, condemnation. We feel that. It, It does. But when we bring that to God, it's at that very moment that He forgives you takes that away and restores you because he took your shame for you when he died and rose again. But we're going to get to that more in future weeks and what that looks like and how we live that out. Today, do you love the Father? Do you love his family? And do you love others? Let's pray together. Jesus, we love you so much. God, I thank you for these incredible words that you have for us. That we don't have to guess or wonder about who you are. But that you love us. You love us. You are seeking us out. You didn't leave us in a brokenness, but you came and gave your life. You you put yourself in the position of a slave, of a servant to love us. And that you could love us lavishly. And that you love us enough to warn us away from things that will lead us to our destruction. God, I pray that we would come back to you, all of us today. That we would keep coming back because you keep coming after us. God, I thank you for that. We love you. We ask all this in your name.